All right, open up to Galatians 1. Here we go. We're going to dive right into this. Part 1. Galatians should be one of your favorite books. I probably say that about a lot of things that I preach on, but it should be, it should be one of your favorite books. And I feel like by the time we're done with it, it will be one of your favorite books. Uh, uh, Martin Luther made the comment about Galatians one time that he was as much married to this book as he was married to his own wife. And I was like, wow, that's intense. So, um, but it's, it's the gospel. It's, it's freedom. Um, it's, it's, it's grace, like all through it. And it's just teaches that we have the freedom to live for God and free from religious bondage. And so I'm excited. We're going to look at verses one through 10 tonight. Um, just to kind of set some context for this, this is possibly Paul's first letter that he wrote. Um, it's possibly, um, the first one kind of in the timeline, it's, it's a little bit debatable. Um, but this gospel is a little bit different, has a little bit different tone than some of his other ones. This, uh, this, uh, epistle that he wrote. And, um, he's very frustrated actually. He doesn't have like a super nice tone and he actually says some, some, I know he says some harsh things in all of them, but like this one, he doesn't start with like sweet greetings, um, or anything. He goes right into, um, what feels like a, a, a rebuke and it, and it was very, it was a very controversial letter that he wrote, um, at the time. Uh, Leon Morris wrote, Galatians is a passionate letter, the outpouring of the soul of a preacher on fire for his Lord and deeply committed to bringing his hearers to an understanding of what saving faith is. So Paul's immediately going to start addressing problems that is going on in the Galatian church. So, so let's look at tonight what's frustrated him so bad. Now, the Galatian, it wasn't just to one church. It was many churches that he would have planted in what now would be southern Turkey nowadays. Um, but, but Paul had gone on a missionary journey through there. He had established several churches. Um, but as soon as he left, false teachers begin to come in known as Judaizers, begin to come in. And it's almost like they were following him around as soon as he would leave and they were coming in and they were distorting the gospel, perverting the gospel that he was teaching. And so Paul immediately uh, feels the pressure to address this. Uh, they were preaching a message completely contrary to what Paul had said. They were, they were basically going in and telling them, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to follow some of these Jewish laws in order to be saved. They were trying to get them to be circumcised and follow different customs on top of believing in Jesus. And so let's look at this. In verse 1, we see this is a letter from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. That doesn't, like, we read over that, and that doesn't seem like a big deal, but, like, he's immediately defending his reputation. He's immediately saying, this is Paul writing to you, I'm an apostle, no man chose me. I was chosen by God. I was chosen by God. He immediately shows where his creditation comes from, because the Judaizers were coming in and trying to discredit Paul. They were trying to run down his reputation, run down his credentials, and he's basically saying, I didn't get credentials from man. I got credentials from God himself on the Damascus road. Jesus appeared to me and showed up. It's interesting. It, Paul, right here in this verse, he's given himself the same authority as the 12 disciples who became apostles. It's interesting when you go to Acts that the disciples chose Matthias to replace Judas, but you never hear from Matthias again. Who do you hear from? Paul. It's clear that God chose Paul. And he takes this like immediately right away, like here's my authority. Here's where it comes from. It comes from God. He's immediately 
on the defensive because they were trying to subvert the gospel and their first place to do that was let's discredit this guy. But we've all, I, I want us to know here in this room tonight that you've been called by God. You haven't been called by man. The purpose that you have in your life is not from man, but it is from God. And so God has called you to do whatever he's called you to do. <clears throat> it, so I, I'll never forget the day that I was, uh, I was ordained. It was back in 2014. Uh, it was in January. It was at the ministries conference, and it was, it was Pastor Tim, Pastor Paul, Pastor Ashley, uh, Pastor uh, Tom Underhill from RCC, and they, they prayed over us, and we had an incredible powerful, amazing ceremony that, that marks me to this day. And I take that very weighty that these incredible men of the faith who've been serving for a long time, 30, you know, they've been saved longer than I've been alive. And they laid their hands on me and they prayed over me and Sarah and they ordained me that day to do the work of the ministry. But I want you to understand pastor Tim did not call me. God called me. Why me? I don't know. There were, it seemed like there were a whole bunch of other suitors that would have done a better job than I can do. But God called me. He positioned me here. He qualified me. It's interesting, too, if you look at, if you look at the New Testament church, why did God send Paul to the Gentiles? It would have made a lot more sense for, for God to send Paul to the Jews. If you look at Paul's credential as a Pharisee, if you look at some of the things that he said about himself, like this dude, he would have been a much better witness, you think, to go to the Jews. Why not send Peter to the Gentiles? Peter was barely Jewish. I mean, that joker, like he couldn't, you know, he couldn't do, he couldn't do nothing right. Wait, but, but we're going to send this messed up, unclean, dirty fisherman to a, Jew, a religious Jewish people. And I'm going to send this guy who really would be a great witness to the Jews. I'm going to send him to the Gentiles. Why does God, it's just, he wants to use the foolish things of the world because he's wise and he knows way better than we know. And so we've got to be confident in what God has called us to do. But, but Paul here is immediately defending his authority, telling them he's been called by God. Let's look at verse two and three. It says, all the brothers and sisters join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Immediately he starts with uh, he, he, he brings it back to uh, the gospel just to start with. So he's got his brothers and sisters there. He's got people who, ha- who are leaders in the church with him. So he's saying, it's not even just me, it's all of these other people. And he's saying, may God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Again, I'm, I'm being nitpicky tonight. That would be something that you could just immediately rush over. But it's very important that we see what Paul is saying here when he says, I, I pray that God would give you grace and peace. The first thing is that Paul is extremely frustrated with these people. And one of the first things he says is, I'm praying that God would give you grace and peace. And we'll see where Paul uses some really hard words, but it's interesting that he does start with, I want what's best for you. And he, you see the love as he starts this letter is, I want what's best for you, and I'm praying that God, our Father, would give you grace and peace. And grace and peace, that's, that is... You, the summation of salvation. Like you get, salvation is grace and peace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It is the source of our salvation. And peace is the result of our salvation. Do you hear me? Grace is the source of our salvation and peace is the result of our salvation. The gospel that Paul is fighting against offered no grace and therefore no peace. 
And so even in his opening, opening greeting, we see him directly confronting this false gospel that had spread like leaven through these churches. They wanted people to live by the law still, but the law offers no grace. And in fact, it negates grace. It follows a legalistic system that will bring no peace because the peace comes from the grace of God. I am brought into peace with God through grace. Amen? Now I'm brought into peace with God through grace. Grace in simple terms is God's unmerited favor. It's also his supernatural empowerment for salvation and daily sanctification. The grace of God gives me the ability to follow God. I cannot do it on my own strength. He has graced me with his presence. He has graced me with his power. He has graced me with his Holy Spirit. So now that I can follow him and I don't have to do it on my own strength. Grace is what every man needs, but what no one can earn and what God alone can freely give. Peace means to join or bind together. Literally pictures the binding and joining together of what has been separated or divided. The result is a setting at one again, which you could say is having it all together. So not only are we brought, because we, I can say this, because we are brought into peace with God, we are then flooded with his supernatural peace that allows us to become one person undivided. Does that make sense? So because when, before we are brought into peace with him and we are chasing all of these things in life, we are full of fear, and evil and hatred and anxiety and depression. And, and, and we're looking at all these different areas to try to fill us when our fulfillment is found in God's presence. And when that fulfillment is found in God's presence, a supernatural peace comes because that hole inside of me has been filled. That is the grace and peace that, God, that, that Paul is praying that they would have. Grace always has to precede peace. We have to accept the grace in order to have it. I would say that the measure of peace that you enjoy is directly related to the measure of grace that you've received or the measure of grace that you believe. Because I think a lot of people aren't able to walk in peace because they don't really understand the way that God actually sees them. If we think that God is angry and mad and frustrated with us all the time, it's because we probably have a religious works consciousness where we think we have to earn our way into his presence. But if you understand the way that God actually sees you and the grace that he actually bestows on you, that he actually looks at you and sees you like he sees Jesus, not based on your merit, not based on your scorecard, but based on his. And when you begin to believe that, you enter into a lot more peace. Come on. That's good news. <laughs> it's amazing that this is part of Paul's opening Despite his frustration, we must be willing to extend the grace of God and seek to be a peacemaker just like Paul was being here. Despite our frustrations, despite what goes on when people are not doing what we have trained them to do or raised them to do, we, we still have got to be peacemakers. Not compromising on truth. Not falling into our fleshly desires and treating people the, the way that we want to. You're tracking with me. We've got to be like Paul where despite frustration going on with other believers or, or someone who is falling away or a prodigal child, we still have to treat them with the grace and love of God. 
So Paul is able to pray this over them without, without compromising on truth, but also without falling into his own fleshly desire of, I just want to bend you over my knee and punch you in the face. <laughs> Let's look at verse four. Verse four is the gospel. Galatians one, verse four is the gospel. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God, our father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That's the gospel that Jesus sacrificed himself, willingly went to the cross. This is the declaration of independence for us. As a Christian, this is our declaration of freedom right here. Because Jesus willingly sacrificed himself on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins and also so that I could be freed from this evil world. That's the gospel. And that's something that we have to rejoice in. That's something that should never get old to us. That's something that has to stay fresh on our hearts. That's like, that's the, the whole thing. That Jesus willingly gave himself up, that no one forced him, that he laid his life down. And that we were rescued by the death of Jesus. We were rescued from our sins. We were rescued from evil. We were, we were captives, not only to our sin, but to this evil age. And God brought us out of that kingdom into his. And then I love what it says in the middle there. Just as God our Father had planned. Just as he had planned. Just as he had planned. What does that mean? Ephesians explains that he already had this in place before he laid the foundations of the world. He knew that you and I were going to rebel against him. He knew what Adam and Eve were going to do in the garden. He knew that we were going to be his enemies. He knew that we were going to choose his stuff over him. He knew that we were going to run away from home. And he still created us. And he still calls us his family. He, st he knew that he was going to have to go to the cross. And he did it anyway. The father knew he was going to have to send Jesus so that we could become a part of his family. And he still did it anyway. Come on. And I think if you're a parent, you understand this love a little bit better. Because you know your kids are going to blow it. And you know they're going to mess up. You still bless them anyway. You still love them anyway. You'll still take a bullet for them anyway. A thousand times over. Even in Paul's opening greeting, we see that he is trying to bring them back to the real gospel. By verse 4, he is showing them the goodness of God. Now, I want to make a point here that through the sacrifice of Christ, we are rescued from the power of this evil age, but not the presence of this evil age. We have been rescued from the power of this evil age, but not the presence of it. We are in this world, but we are no longer of this world. Matthew Henry in his commentary on Galatians says, this present world is an evil world. It has become so by the sin of man. Jesus Christ has died to deliver us from the present evil world, not to remove his people out of it, but to rescue them from the power of it. And I could go into a long rabbit trail here, but I'm not going to. But what you've got to understand here is that we live in two ages that are overlapping. The kingdom of God is now, but not yet. 
And we've got to be able to, we have to make that correlation that the kingdom of God is now, but not yet. We serve, we're, we, we are, we don't serve, we are fighting an enemy that is defeated. But we're still fighting him. There, so there's still evil in the world. There's still an evil age. And the kingdom of God is taking ground every single second of every single day. The kingdom of God is always advancing until ultimately it completely wins. It has won, but it is winning. Okay, so that's something that we have to, we've got to be able to put together in our head. It's so important that we know that we have not just been delivered from, delivered from our sin, but also darkness and evil itself from the power of it. It has, it has no grip on us. It has no, we, don't even, we don't even have to fear death anymore. Believers just fall asleep. And you wake up with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus gave his life for our sins. For our sins. For our sins. Sin, it, the simple definition of sin is missing the mark. The, the definition that... that Paul would, would give in Romans 3.23 is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. An easy picture there is that, that you're, it's like your life, you're aiming at a target with a bow and arrow and you shoot it, but it falls short of the target that you were trying to aim or the, the target that you were aiming at. Jesus hit that mark for you and I. And then he steps aside and now says, you hit that mark because I hit that mark. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. St. Irenaeus says that the glory of God is man fully alive. Man, full, man becomes fully alive because he surrenders his life to Jesus. And because then he puts on the righteousness of Christ and he then hits the mark and it brings God glory. Jesus saved us from our sins. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's a big deal. <laughs> the biggest deal. <laughs> Martin Luther in his commentary says that this is the thunderclap of heaven. And that in no way is it our own righteousness. In no way could we hit the mark. He's the one that hits the mark. It's him. And that leads to verse 5. Paul is, he says this and then he can't do anything but worship. Verse 5, he says, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Well, just wrap up the letter there, my guy. He can't get through five verses without worshiping the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done for all of us. So he's saying like, it's not by, it's not by, he's immediately, you've got to see what he's combating here. What the Judaizers were trying, they were saying, you've got to, yeah, you can follow Jesus, but you've also got to do this, this, and this to be saved. And Paul's saying, no, it's all God and all the glory goes to him. There's no self-righteousness in this whatsoever. So he gets all the honor and all the fame and all the admiration. You go to verse Six, he says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. I am shocked. He is amazed. This is <laughs> the, worst, um, the worst discipline from mom growing up was you're better than that, right? That one cuts to your core, like, yeesh. Like, just tell me what a worthless person I am. Like, tell me how awful I am. But for her to say, you're better than that, that cuts you because you know it's true. 
you're better than that. And Paul's saying, I'm shocked. I'm amazed because you guys know better. That's what, that's Paul's shock here. You guys know better. He basically says, I can hardly believe what I'm hearing about you. You ever hear something about something of someone and you go, there's no way they did that. That's what Paul's saying. There's no way they did that. (laughs) And so soon. (laughs) It's wild because Paul, he starts many letters thanking and praising the churches, but not Galatians. He's going right into rebuke. (laughs) This is really one of the only epistles where Paul does not express his thanksgiving for a church to start the letter. Because he needs to express the seriousness of what they're doing. They were, because we've got to understand, they're not turning away from a message. They're not turning away from a doctrine. They're turning away from a person. They're turning away from Jesus. Not a message, but a man. They were turning away from the God who saved them to a different gospel. Paul is saying, like, you're turncoats. You've, you've betrayed You've turned your back. You've joined the other team. And notice Paul's not rebuking the false teachers here. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He'll get to them in a minute. Who is he rebuking? The Galatians, the ones who were believing the message. <laughs> what we need to know is that there is a measure of responsibility that falls on us. Every person in this room needs to know there is a measure of responsibility that falls on you and what you believe. You, th- there's got to come a time when you search out truth for yourself. There's got to come a time. Like, you've got to go after Jesus for yourself. Don't just follow me blindly. Don't follow any person blindly. They had been taught the truth. They should have refused the lie. They should have recognized the lie. And I want to encourage all of us in here to know, we need to know the truth so well that we recognize the lie. And then refuse to stand with it. To agree to it. To make compromise with it. it I do a lot of study on culture stuff right now. And it boggles my mind that churches are teaching critical race theory right now. That is insane to me because it is a worldly doctrine. It is a worldly ideology that says, no, you don't just need Jesus. You also need this theory. You don't just need him. You also need to add this to it. And that's exactly what the Judaizers were doing. Jesus isn't enough. You also have to obey these laws. Critical race theory is saying, no, following Jesus isn't enough. You also have to, you also have to not be so white. And if you don't admit that, you're racist. Except I'm not because I've been washed completely clean with the blood of Christ. And he's completely redeemed me and set me free. And I don't even see race. Because we're all part of the human race, my guy. But the, the reason that something like that is making its way into the church is because we don't know the truth. We don't know the Bible. We, we don't know his word. We've got to know his word. And that's why studies like these are so important. Because we break it down here verse by verse and you can know the word inside and out. Paul is putting blame on them for deserting. 
for the, the very converts themselves from deserting. Paul had explained God's grace to them. So they should have known better than to fall for the graceless teachings of the Judaizers. And turn away from the gospel is to turn away from Jesus himself. Christianity is not so much a doctrine to be believed, but a person to be experienced. The gospel is more than doctrine. It's more than truth. It's more than intellectual belief. The gospel is life itself. The gospel is Jesus. And you feel Paul's heart pain in this verse. How could you when you experience the grace and peace and love that Jesus has to offer? And he says it, our God who called you with the loving mercy of Christ. So there's something there that Paul knew. He saw these people experience the loving mercy of Christ. He's saying, how could you turn away from that? And then in verse 7, you see that uh, you, he actually gives a, a couple different characteristics. First of all, he says, this is not the gospel. What, you're, what they're teaching you is illegitimate. It's bringing trouble to you. And it's a, just a distortion. It's a twisting. It's a perversion. And that's how the, that's how the devil gets us. It's, like, it's, it's not that he just comes, he didn't get you with this blatant lie. No, he presents himself as an angel of light. And that's why on the surface, you look at something like critical race theory, you look at it on the surface, that sounds kind of good. That sounds kind of right until you dig deeper, until you see behind, behind it. But if you, even what the Judaizers were saying, like, okay, that looks kind of right. Paul told us to follow Jesus, and they're coming in here and saying, well, if you do this, this, and this, you're going to be following Jesus more. There's this leaven that seeps in. The devil is not an idiot. <clears throat> and Paul's saying, this is not the good news. There's only one gospel. There's not another gospel, just like there's not another God. We don't, and we as believers, we don't get to believe what we want about the gospel. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe. You don't get to choose what you want to believe and reject what you don't want to believe about it. We don't, we don't get to choose what we want to believe about God and what we don't want to believe about him. I don't want to believe that people are going to spend an eternity in hell if they don't follow him. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't want, I don't want that for anybody. Especially people in my life that I'm close to that I know and love that don't follow him. I don't want to believe that about him, but I don't get to choose that. He's God and I'm not. He's the designer and the creator of this world. What am I but a man? We don't get to change the gospel. It's actually the gospel that's supposed to change us. <clears throat> Martin Luther says, note the resourcefulness of the devil. Heretics do not advertise their errors. Murderers, adulterers, thieves disguise themselves. So the devil masquerades all these devices and activities. He puts on white to make himself look like an angel of light. It's good. <clears throat> the other gospel is a perversion or distortion of the true one. It doesn't start from nothing. It actually makes up a new name for God and pretends to be a new savior. It uses names and ideas familiar to Christians, but it slightly twists their ideas to make their message all more deceptive. You'll run into this a lot in hot springs if you talk to people who are new age, who believe in new age. They're totally cool with you believing in Jesus. They believe in Jesus, but it's what they add to it that's dangerous and demonic. Got to be careful. John Stott says to tamper with the gospel is to trouble the church. 
indeed the church's greatest troublemakers now and th- uh, now as then are not those outside who oppose and ridicule and persecute it, but those inside who tried to change the gospel, who try to make it Jesus plus something. And it's not Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus something is demonic. It's not him and something. It's Jesus plus nothing. He's it. Ephesians 2.8, you've been saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by good works, lest any man should boast. We've been saved by grace alone through faith alone. It's a... It's, uh, I wrote this down today, it's, it's spiritual spam. Not like spam you eat, like, like an email spam. Sorry, spam you eat's gross. Yeah, stay away from that. That's demonic too. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if you like spam. <laughs> um, <laughs> canned meat, just ugh. Um, <laughs> especially mystery canned meat. No, like, like email spam or like a, like an infomercial or like, it, it's like something they promise like it's too, too good to be true. Like when I see commercials that come on and say, you may be entitled to uh, compensation. I'm like, nope. You're just trying to make money. You're just trying to trick me. You're just trying to suck me into something. You know, it's wild. Like it, <laughs> we'll help you with your debt. No, you won't. You're going to make it worse. It's lies. It's going to put you, but that's what the Judaizers are doing is like, this is going to be better. And it, actually it's going to bring trouble to you. It's going to make you worse off than, when, than where you were when you first, than when you believed the right gospel. So anyway, let's, uh, let's move on here. We've got to know for our own sake that, that religion is the greatest threat to our Christianity because it's subtle. Religion is the greatest threat to our Christianity because it's subtle, because it uses the same language, because it uses scripture. And takes it out of context. And I want us to know tonight, any theology that requires good works, baptism, church membership, church service, circumcision, to be saved, are legalism. Those are legalism and they are not the gospel. Jesus is the one who saves. Not your church service. I'm all for you volunteering. I'm all for good works. I believe that good works are an overflow of our faith in Christ. But your good works do not save you. They don't save you. And if you are in this works consciousness of God, I do these things to earn favor with God, the devil has you tricked. You have the favor with God. When you understand and you begin to believe and it clicks for you, I just, I remember when the grace of God clicked for me, it doesn't feel like I'm working for him. It feels like I'm doing life with my father. Let me, easy example, let me put it this way. If you've ever been water skiing, you don't pull on the rope. The boat doesn't need your help. You let the boat pull you out of the water. I I used this example one time. When you are in relationship with God and you're communing with him, he's doing the good works and you just get to follow along and it's just a party every day. I I use this example of like when I mow my yard, my boys walk behind me with scissors thinking they're cutting grass. And that is a picture of the gospel. We are following him and he's doing all of it and they are having a blast. My boys have a blast doing that. Come on. Verse 8 and 9. This is intense right here, man. 
If you weren't offended already, here you go. Verse 8 and 9, let God's curse fall on anyone, including, uh, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any good news than the one you welcomed, let the person be cursed. Mean tweet, Paul. <laughs> Cannot believe that you would say that. Paul curses anyone who would bring a false gospel. And he didn't care if it was an angel from heaven. And he says it twice, two times in verse 8 and 9. He repeats himself. (laughs) He's using hyperbole to stress the importance of what he's talking about. This is no small matter. And I want you to know no matter how godly someone seems, no matter how good someone seems, no matter their motives, no matter their credentials, if they are preaching another gospel than what Paul is sharing with us right here in Galatians tonight, he says, let them be accursed. That, what does that mean, accursed? He means cut off, not just from church. He means condemned. That's intense. Like cut off from the family of God, like no longer saved. Like you're not a Christian, accursed. He uses the same language in Romans 9 when he says, I would be accursed so that my brothers would would know him. Paul was willing to be condemned forever. That's that's the great love that he had for people, is I'll be condemned forever so that my people can spend forever with him. He uses the same word of accursed there. And so he's saying, if they're preaching something different, it's heresy and let them be damned. We've got to know that truth outranks anyone's credentials. Yeah, that's so good. True, I don't care how many letters they have after their name. So truth outranks credentials. I don't care how long they've been a pastor or how long they've been a politician or how long they've been a doctor or a theologian or how many books they've written or how many prophetic words they've given. Paul says even angels from heaven. You weigh everything against truth. You weigh everything against the plumb line of scripture. Yep. Everything. And if it's a different gospel, he says, curse them. <laughs> Later on, we'll look at in, in, in Galatians chapter 5 as we go through the study. Um, he says, those false teachers, I wish they would emasculate themselves. His language, not mine. He said, in New Living, I think he says, I wish they would mutilate themselves. That's wild. This is strong language. But he's using strong language because this is an intense, serious matter that he's bringing. I would say in this letter, Paul is like a coach in a timeout. He's like a coach in a timeout. If you've ever seen Nathan coach in a timeout, my goodness. Wild. Most of y'all in here would cry. (laughs) But, But in a timeout, in a game, in a critical moment, the coach doesn't have time for how will you feel about me talking to you like this? doesn't have time for all that. And that's Paul in Galatians. I don't have time for the way that you're going to receive this. I don't have time to worry about my tone because the outcome, outcome of the game hangs in balance for the 30 seconds that I have for you. And Paul is trying to get this letter to them quickly and let them know now the outcome of your eternity hangs in balance. This is a serious matter. That's how serious he is going to be. Last verse, verse 10. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. We got it, Paul. (laughs) I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. 
If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Obviously, you can tell from the previous few verses that Paul is uninterested in a fan club or how many followers he has. He is only interested in pleasing God. He was not concerned with his approval ratings. He wasn't concerned with his Google reviews or his Facebook reviews. I mean, never mind. We're going to move on. The the fact that people would go on Facebook and give churches bad reviews is wild to me. This is crazy. Get a life. Get a life. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> we must learn from Paul in this verse, in these 10 verses. Our goal is not to be popular, but to be faithful. Hear me tonight. This is the last main point. Our goal is not to be popular, but to be faithful. Be faithful. We cannot teach what is agreeable to men. We must be faithful to teach the word of God. People pleasers make idols of themselves and others. They make idols out of wanting to be liked by all, and it is really just self-worship, and it is the antithesis of the gospel. We can never compromise biblical truth or water down the word. And know this, whoever you are trying to please in your life is your master. Think about it, whoever you're trying to please is your master. You're trying to do something to get their approval. And I, I, I love working for Pastor Tim. I love working for Pastor Paul. If you've known them for any amount of time, they don't pull punches. They don't tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to hear. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a church and part of a ministry that does not back down from the government, does not back down from intimidation from other people, doesn't back down, not even afraid of offending people. We're going to speak the word of God. We're going to speak what is true. We're going to speak what God tells us to. Come on. Amen. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 35 to 36, we see Jesus talking about how he is coming and basically his message, his gospel, his life is going to divide mother against daughter and father against son, that it's going to divide households. Jesus isn't trying to intentionally divide people, but he knew that people were going to reject him. And if there's anything that we see in Scripture that God values over other things, it's obedience. And I will say that God values obedience over harmony. God values obedience over peace. God values obedience over unity. Why? Because that true obedience from the bride of Christ is going to bring real unity. I would say unity that has been made among churches that uh, for the sake of compromise is not real unity. And it's built on shaking, shifting sands. Paul's point throughout this letter, though it may seem controversial and frustrated, his basic point, though, I want us to know tonight, is a celebration. His basic point is a celebration because we get to be a part of what Jesus did. That's what he's trying to tell the Galatians. He's trying to tell them about the goodness of God, that they get to be a part of this by nothing that they do, simply by his grace. And this is good news. I'm going to end with a quote. John Phillips remarks, the letter, not on, the letter not only was aimed at silencing the Judaizers, but also was designed to define once and for all just exactly what Christianity really is. Today, the problem of Galatians is still with us. In spite of the clear teaching of the word of God, men are made to believe they must do something to be saved. 
Man adds to salvation by grace, religion, good works, church membership, ordinances, and works of the law. But the Bible says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. Romans 4, 5. Y'all stand with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this ministry. We thank you so much for the call that you have on this ministry. God, I thank you for the call that you had on Hedy Lou Brooks and the call that you have on Tim Brooks and, and the, the direction that they've led this ministry over the years, Lord. I'm so grateful to you, to you for them, and I'm grateful for their, their long-standing obedience, Lord, that we all get to reap the benefits and blessings because of things that they laid out for us. And God, right tonight, we honor them for that. We thank you, Lord, that they have held tightly to truth they have held tightly to the true gospel, just like, just like the Apostle Paul did. Held tight to the true message, no matter how much it divides, no matter how much strife and frustration and hard times it brings, Lord, we're, we're not interested in being faithful, in being uh, uh, popular. We're interested in being faithful. We want to be faithful to you, Jesus, faithful to your message, faithful to what you've called us to do. Lord, let this word tonight in these first few introductory verses of Galatians speak to our hearts that we would live to please you and you alone, that we would live to move your heart and not the heart of anyone else, that we would live for an audience of one and not the audience of men. God, we give you all that we are. We thank you again that we don't have a works-based religion that we are saved by grace. God, that you took our scorecard and gave us the scorecard of Jesus, that you made us righteous just by our belief in you. Lord, with your grace, empower us to live this out in front of all men. Fill us with your spirit tonight. Help us to love one another the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.